0: Let's continue in worship by standing for the reading of God's word from Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. Galatians 6, 11 to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You may be seated. That's God's word for his people today. And let's pray. And uh, many of you were concerned throughout the week and prayed for me. My eyes are improving, so thank you. Um, But that just tempts me to depend on myself and my own sight and not God's power. And so um, regardless of how you are this day, remember that we need the Spirit to give us eyes to see, Uh, for the natural man cannot know the supernatural things. So let's all pray and ask God to give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus. So Father, that is what we need. We need your help and your grace to walk by the rule of the gospel, to relish in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So give us ears to hear you speak to us through your word today, the good soil of hearts that would receive it, that it would bear fruit in our lives for the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Have you seen uh, progressive insurances, Dr. Rick commercials on TV? Some of you might um, not like them, but, um, because I think you might be what he's talking about. But for uh, maybe people in different age demographics, uh, he's a life coach that helps people not become their parents. Right? And the newest ones are pretty uh, creative and funny, uh, and they're about social media etiquette like not really needing to post 47 pictures of fun dinner at Pam's, or not uh, posting in all caps on social media. That's one of the newest ones. He shows the class a social media post that's in all caps about Pilates, which he then reads by yelling about Pilates. And he says, okay, that's what it sounds like when you type in all caps. Um, I used to joke about this with my mom because she loved all caps. All caps. She loved it all the time. Lots of all caps from Joy Sherwood. And apparently, though, she was in good company because you know who else liked all caps? The Apostle Paul. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. He he is ending his letter to the church in Galatia and he grabs the pen from whoever he was dictating it to and finished the letter himself in, in all caps with large letters. He doesn't want us drifting off as he concludes his letter, because he's talking about the most important reality that the church cannot get wrong, the gospel. And so he goes all caps mode, not about ridiculous things that you think people want to hear about, but no one else could care less about. But he's like a parent who has sat their children down, and as they're pleading with them, They begin to see their eyes like drifting off and wandering. So verse 11 is like Paul saying to them, hey, look at me. Look at me in my eyes. We're almost done. So pay attention. And since Paul is a far better life coach than Dr. Rick, let's focus our attention on Paul's final four lessons in Galatians. Paul's final four, his final lessons to the church in Galatia. First, Lesson number one, it's not about you. It's never about you. Look at verse 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so the false teachers had come to Galatia after Paul left, and they have seemed to have said uh, that Paul didn't tell them the full gospel to make following Jesus more palatable for them, to make it easier for them to follow Jesus. So it's not that the false teachers didn't believe in Jesus or rejected Jesus. They just didn't believe Jesus is enough. A person had to add works of the law to faith in Jesus in order to be Justify, to be declared righteous in God's sight, not guilty of sin, and to have Jesus' righteousness be theirs. In order for that to be true, you had to have, yes, faith in Jesus, but also you had to add faith. It's faith plus works that brings you into the people of God, not faith alone by grace alone in Jesus alone, that you are brought into the people of God. For the false teachers, Christianity was about appearances. Is about appearances. It's about making a good showing in the flesh. There's an appearance of godliness, but it's something you do rather than something you are. And for these guys, then Jesus is just a means to an end. He's a means. He's something to get you somewhere else. Jesus is not the end. For false teachers, Jesus is a life improvement plan, not someone who radically transforms the entirety of your life. And Jesus confronted this way of thinking in Matthew 23. He says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness.'" And so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. For these kind of people, religion and Christianity included, is about appearance. It's, a, it's an appearance of godliness. Christianity is something you do rather than something you are. But friends, Jesus wasn't born a human. He didn't live a perfect life, he didn't die on the cross, and he didn't rise again just to clean sinners up a little bit, but rather to radically transform sinners both inside and outside. And so in all caps, Paul warns of those who make faith in Jesus a matter of moral modification. He says, Beware of teachers who make faith in Jesus Just about moral modification. And one hint that this kind of false gospel is being peddled is when it comes with heavy handedness and fear mongering. That's why Paul says they're forcing circumcision. Because it's not like the church came together that one day when these guys showed up to the worship service and they start saying okay this way to add works of the law and they start grabbing men into side rooms to circumcise them they're not forcing them in that way but rather they're deceiving people into believing that the only way into the people of god is to take on the law and if you're male you must be circumcised they're forcing them into a corner they're saying hey look at you believe in Jesus okay that's really nice he's a good dude but it's not enough you're still on the outside of God's people. You don't want to be on the outside, do you? Who wants to be on the outside? Not you, of course. So how about you come on the inside? But wait, We've t- we know something that no one else has told you. We know the only way in. And that is a false gospel that enslaves. And it's causing fear, not joy. It leads to more fear, not freedom. It it causes people to say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Again, false gospels center on the person rather than on Jesus. And so they trade old chains for new ones. False gospels don't set sinners free. They further enslave sinners in fear. so this is what the forcing means. You feel like you have to do this because you want the goodness of what the gospel is proclaiming. And so, but they, but they, with heavy-handed fear, force people back into a new kind of slavery. It's a new kind of fear that you haven't done enough, that, that you aren't doing enough, and that even if you did enough today, whew, there's still tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow again. And for the rest of my life, I'm in this fear that I haven't done, aren't doing, and can't do Enough. But the glory of the gospel is that you admit you aren't enough, haven't done enough, and never could do enough. But Jesus is enough. That's where our hope is. And far from leading that into moral chaos, this good news, the good news of the true gospel, brings about an inner transformation that changes the outside, too, So, brothers and sisters, never be bullied into a new kind of slavery by false teachers whose business is fear. If you can smell fear, or if you begin to feel yourself be afraid, then you can be on the lookout for a false gospel. Because false teachers operate with fear because they're fueled by fear. You see that? That's why Paul says the Judaizers make it about a good showing in the flesh. Why? Because they fear persecution. They're afraid. These these guys are stuck in fear. They're enslaved themselves. So that's all they know. So that's all they're peddling. They peddle fear because they live in it. Now, whether the persecution was from the Jews, who... Uh, for whom Jesus dying on the cross was a stumbling block because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, so that to them was proof Jesus wasn't the Messiah, or whether they faced persecution from the nations for whom a crucified Jew was simply foolishness, they peddled a false gospel because they were afraid of persecution, but a persecution of the cross of Christ. But avoiding persecution for the cross denies the heart of the gospel. To to be afraid of the gospel and then to steer clear of it is to actually turn away from the only thing that can save. By dying on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the curse of his people's sin. He he died the death our sin deserved. But that was God's plan to forgive our sin and make us alive by faith in Jesus. Jesus which is actually truly glorious about the things we are afraid of. The the most shameful, fearful moments we could think that would ever be uncovered are actually then tools in God's hand to bring great glory to himself in saving us and forgiving of our sins. So we can admit, yes, our most shameful moments. We can confess the greatness of our sin because it points to the even greater greatness of our Savior Jesus. And brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't humble himself then to the point of death on a cross just to help you live a better life. And so often that's what I hear and that's what I see in, in, in churches around us, in teachers, in songs. So often that's what I see, that it, that Jesus is just a means to an end, that he's something you just Invite into your life to help you live a better one. But Jesus didn't die on a cross to help you live a better life. He did it to bring you into a new life, to radically transform you both inside and outside, to rescue you from this present evil age, and to bring you into a new creation that will never end. And so we don't ever settle for moral modification. It's not that moral our morals won't be modified. That's what Paul's talking about in chapter 5. The Spirit comes to destroy the works of the flesh and bear his fruit in our lives. But that doesn't come by us gritting our teeth and trying harder. It does not come by settling for moral modification or boasting in our flesh, but by pressing into heart transformation. And how does God change sinners' hearts? How do we press into heart transformation rather than moral modification? Well, we do that as we heed Paul's second lesson. It's never about us. And secondly, it's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Look at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't think you would expect to hear anything other than it's all about Jesus on a Sunday at five points. But it's one thing to nod along and to say amen, maybe. But it's quite another to actually live it. And Paul contrasts the false teachers who boast in the flesh and don't even keep the law themselves as they burden other people with it. And he contrasts that with his ministry of boasting only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's another hint that you can uh, use to tell a false teacher from a, a true one. You can tell a false teacher from a true one by what they put their confidence in, by what they're all about. If the true gospel is all about Jesus, and it is, it's what Paul's been telling us for ch- six chapters now, if the true gospel is all about Jesus, then true teachers will boast only in him and his cross. That will be their confidence. That will be their uh their message on repeat over and over and over and again that's easy to say for a preacher and it's easy to say as a congregation that that's what you want and always want and are thankful for at five points but the difficulty comes when you realize what boasting only in Jesus and his cross means because what do people boast about I'm sure you heard boasting this weekend already. You might have heard it on the radio today or in the news this morning. We hear it all the time from our politicians, from our neighbors, from our bosses. From our, we hear it all the time. People boast about personal accomplishments, how good they are, their career achievements. And if, in regardless of age, people from young and old boast in what gets the world around them to think they are pretty big stuff. That's what the false teachers were using the Galatians for. The Galatians were just people they could crush with burdens they themselves didn't even bear so that they could be made much of. They used people so that they would be made much of. Paul says true gospel teachers spend their very lives serving others. In order that they might know and make much of Jesus, regardless of what happens to them. That's why Paul says in the beginning of First Thessalonians, we not only preach the message of the gospel to you, we gave of our very selves. Because pastoral ministry, gospel ministry, is not a job or a career, it's a calling. And it's a calling that's in the shape of the cross that serves and spends the lives of those who proclaim the true gospel to serve others so that they might know and make much of Jesus. But again, that's easy to say. But making much of Jesus and only boasting in his cross takes a humility that only the Holy Spirit can give. Because to boast only in the cross of Christ is actually to make much of our personal deficiencies, our lack, to boast in our inability. That's what it means to boast except. The only thing I'm going to boast in is my personal deficiency, my lack, and my ability in order to make much of Jesus's sufficiency, abundance, and ability. I'm going to put myself down so that I might make Lift up Jesus. That's what it means to boast only in the cross. And that's why this takes a Holy Spirit given humility. Because how often do you think the moment you wake up that you can't wait to shout from the rooftops how needy and deficient you are? That's not how our flesh works. We usually, from the moment, are tempted to see, how can I make everyone see how awesome I am? Not, I can't wait to tell everyone how needy I am, how unable I am, how much I lack. But to boast in the cross is to do just that. It's to declare the gospel message. It's declaring that God is absolutely holy and perfectly righteous, and that sin can't dwell in his presence, and that God is on a mission to rid the world of all sin and evil, and one day he will and make all things new. And being sinners, then, that declares our absolute need. We're sinners, dead and unable to do anything that would merit God's salvation uh, from his just wrath against our sin, to sway his judgment of eternal separation that our sin deserves, which then is also a declaration of our absolute helplessness. Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags stained by our sinful nature. And so standing before this holy God, we're helpless in changing the judgment we deserve as sinners. But this holy God, in order to display the glorious riches of his grace, chose to send his only son to redeem sinners from the death their sin deserves. And he did so by the shedding of his own son's blood on the cross to redeem us from the death our sin deserves. And he went into our grave that we deserved. And so the righteousness we need to be saved from sin and to be saved from death could never come from us or through us, but only by Jesus Christ and his atoning death on the cross. And that's why Paul says there is nothing we can boast in. It's foolishness. Don't believe it for a moment. There's nothing to add to Jesus. We boast only in his cross because that is the only way that sinners are saved. And so then to boast in our cross, or excuse me, to boast in the cross of Christ is to actually relish our absolute need and helplessness. And I don't know about you, but my flesh doesn't like that. I don't like relishing in my need and helplessness. But it's only as the Spirit opens our eyes to see who we truly are in light of who God is and to see the only savior is Jesus Christ it's only then when we can stop boasting in our flesh and start boasting in our need so that we can all the more joyfully boast in Jesus absolute sufficiency to boast in the cross is to boast in Jesus blood that pays the death penalty that our sin deserves in full that Jesus accomplished his people's complete salvation to, To boast in the cross is to boast that Jesus is not a potential Savior, but he is the Savior. That when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, he actually meant it. That there is actually nothing left for sinners to add to his work. If Jesus finished it, then there's nothing left for sinners to do. And so we boast in the cross of Christ. For it's only by faith alone in Jesus' perfect life and his sufficient death that God declares sinners righteous as the Spirit unites them by faith alone in Jesus. And so boasting only in the cross is a boasting in two things, our absolute need but Jesus' absolute sufficiency. And Paul says, far be it from me to boast in anything else. And he's writing that in all caps so that you will join him in saying far be it from us in boasting in anything else because if you boast in anything else, you abandon Your only hope of salvation. And again, it may not surprise you to hear that on a Sunday morning at Five Points. But the end of verse 14 tells us why it's so hard to live this out. To boast that it's all about Jesus. Look at the end of verse 14. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That tells us why false gospels are so tempting. They're so tempting because the true gospel is a kind of death. It's inviting you onto the path of death. It's a dying to self. It's a laying aside our attempts to make ourselves God and to find life apart from him. It's a death to the present evil age that we live in, the air we breathe. It's it's a death to that. It's a renunciation of everything about this world that we presently live in. It's a death to pursuing self righteousness and the elements of the world and even the law as a way to salvation. The true gospel is a kind of death, and that's why false gospels are so tempting. But it's a death that leads to life. It's the only death that leads to life. Look at verse 15 For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So again, Paul is refuting the claim that the of the false teacher that he didn't tell the Galatian church the whole gospel. Because he, he's refuting that claim when he says, circumcision has nothing to do with being part of God's people now. The only way in to God's people is when God unites you by faith to Jesus Christ. That's the only way in. So friends, you're answer to a simple question reveals whether you're on the path of the true gospel or or a false one. How you answer this simple question will reveal to you what path you're on. Is God's purpose in salvation a cleaning project or a creating project? Do you need just a little help? Like you're pretty okay and you're definitely better than your neighbor and you just need a little cleaning up? Or do you need a total transformation? Do you need a resuscitation or a resurrection? I recently heard of a teacher uh, for one of their illustrations on what Jesus does, uh, that they broke dishes and had people glue them back together and said, that's what Jesus does. You're like this dish. You're broken and Jesus glues you back together. But that's not really true. Yes, we're broken and Jesus heals. Not by putting us back together, but by making us entirely new. The gospel is not just a little resuscitation project, a little cleaning up project. Like, yeah, when you bought your fixer upper house, the kitchen was terrible, but we're just gonna do some new things and make it look really nice. That is not God's purpose in salvation. It's a new creation he's going after because we've been crucified with Christ. He crucifies sinners with Christ. So it's actually no longer you who lives. The bowl's broken, and then it's gone. The metaphor's got to end there. I mean, don't follow that too far. I don't know where the bowl goes, so we can just admit that was not a good one, right? But it's gone. It's not like you're back with a bunch of cracks and some glue. You are now in Christ perfectly righteous holy a son of Abraham an heir of promise and you're not just being held together with a little bit of gospel super glue you are entirely a new creation because it's no longer you who live but Christ who lives in you and we no longer live according to the world we're in this present evil age but we're out of step with it it's not our home anymore because as new creations we no longer live for self but our faith works through love We are new creations who no longer live for us, but Christ who lives in us and through us. And that's the only thing that matters. That's why Paul is is speaking in all caps. You do not come to church to check a box, get a little pep talk and do a little better this week. We come to rehearse the gospel that we need resurrection in Jesus, and praise God, by grace, he gives it. That's what matters. So the gospel is a kind of death, but it's a death that leads to life. It's the only death that leads to life. And so the question becomes five points, how do you view the cross? What is the cross to you? When you hear the word cross, what comes to mind? Is it something that happened that you're really quite grateful for it at times maybe even overwhelmed by but it really doesn't have much impact on your life on a tuesday afternoon or is it something that has so altered your reality that you can't go through life including your tuesday afternoons like you did before god made you alive through jesus death on the cross does the cross fuel your dying to self does it help you crucify your sin and the passions of your flesh? Does the cross power your loving God and others? Is the cross so decisive in your life that though you live in this present age, you know you're no longer part of it because you've been crucified with Christ and you are now a new creation in him? Is the cross your path of living? Is the cross your way of of life? Is it the way you define yourself? Well, that's what Paul's third lesson is. How can we do this? Well, live the gospel. It's not about you, it's all about Jesus. And thirdly, live the gospel. Look at verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the God of Israel. A walk is just a regular biblical metaphor for living. And by this rule just refers back to the truths we've already been rehearsing this morning in verses 11 through 15. It's not about us, it's all about Jesus. The things we do, the things you could do, any religious work, it counts for nothing. What counts is God making you alive by the Spirit and resurrecting you in Jesus. That's what matters. Living by this rule refers to that. That the worldly ways of seeking joy and acceptance the worldly ways that this present age tells us that we need to find our identity in or by, those have been crucified to us and us to them. Being made new in Jesus has brought us into a new way of thinking, that my acceptance is in Jesus, that my joy is Jesus, that my hope is Jesus, that my identity is being crucified with Jesus and made alive with him, that it's all about Jesus. It's how I define myself. It's where my worth is found. It's where my hope is found. Everything about me has been redefined by the cross. And now, not only do I have a new way of living, I have a new family. I've been brought into a new way of living in a new family. I have a brand new household that even if I don't have biological family, I have a more true family in Jesus that's what the phrase Israel of God points to. In Christ, what used to define us and what the world uses to define you no longer applies to you. So there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, male or female. Paul's rehearsing what he already talked about us in Galatians chapter 3, because we're all one in Christ. We're one in this new creation that Christ has made us. And if we're in Christ, then what now matters is not the worldly ways of finding joy and identity and hope and life, but in Christ. We are Abraham's offspring. We, the gospel connects us all the way back to God's creating and redemptive purposes, all the way back to Galatians. You have a bigger story that you've been placed into. We're heirs according to a promise, And if it's a promise that God made, you can't lose it. Which means you're members of a new creation. You've been brought in to something brand new that will go on into eternity. In other words, you are part of true Israel, God's people. And since that's all true by faith, through the Spirit's work, then live like it. Live like it remember when I was young, going to, like, grandma's house. My parents telling me, be on your best behavior. Live like a Sherwood, not a complete barbarian like you have been all morning long. That's, that's the same type of thing. <laughs> Live like it. This is true of you. Live like it. I was at the Michigan game yesterday. My family, uh, my sister came up from Louisiana, and we were there, and my brother-in-law wore a green raincoat. You're laughing because you're like, what are you doing? Man, you're a Michigan fan. Act like it. He's like, I don't want to get wet. Don't wear green. Go to East Lansing if you want to wear green. Get soaked. You're a Michigan fan. Act like one. Get soaked. Right, And to prove my point, when we walked into the stadium, do you know what the first usher said? He said, are you lost? (laughs) Of course, the ushers at Michigan Stadium have blue rain gear probably given to them. But still, proves my point, are you lost? This is not East Lansing. And he was like, you can't walk in there. Like he was given, no, of course he did let him, So... But I was like, I told you. You say you're a Michigan fan, live like it. We do this all the time. How much more so than with the glorious good news of the gospel? If this is actually true, live like it. And here's the good news. All those ways, you've got to muster it up. Do better. Think better. Plan better. And if you fail, go to the M-Den and buy a better coat. But for the gospel, you don't have to live it in order for it to be true of you. What Paul is saying is, you are the Israel of God. This is already true of you. And by grace, because it's already true of you, live like it. Live in this. Why go back to the chains? Why go back? Live in this freedom. It's yours. Don't go back. It's already true of you. So walk by this rule. And so it just gives us an opportunity to ask ourselves, whose name am I living for every day? Whose kingdom do I hope comes today? Whose will dominates my life every day? Mine or God's? And the truth is revealed in the little moments of life every day. Do, do you, here's, here's a little moment. Do you try to maneuver conversations so that you become the focus? Just the little ways of making it about you? Do you let other mouths praise you, Proverbs 27, or are you feeding other mouths ways so that they can praise you? Do you let other mouths praise you, or do you actually have your own praise you? Do you look for opportunities to be served rather than to serve? Or how about this? Would you give up all worldly praise and influence? if it meant keeping in step with the Spirit and making much of Jesus? In other words, is the gospel your way of life and not just a doorway you passed through long ago? Do you boast only in the cross and does it define your every day? And actually, that's the only way God pours out his peace and mercy. The, the only way God pours out his peace and mercy is if you boast in your absolute need and Jesus' absolute sufficiency. (laughs) If you walk the kind of death path the gospel is asking you to into the newness of life that it promises in Jesus. Because the wholeness we all long for, what we're all looking for when we want people to make much of us, the peace we all want, the mercy we're hoping for, all that comes through the hearing of the glorious good news of the gospel. When the Spirit makes us alive in Jesus. And the healing peace surpassing understanding is yours. Only when you walk by this rule, Paul says. It's a hard path. It's going to be a cause of persecution at times in this present evil age. But actually, what you really want deep down can only come when you walk by the gospel when you walk this rule of life, when you live the gospel. And you can have peace and mercy even in bitter providences, like maybe when persecution comes or when other suffering arises. You know how you live the gospel in times of suffering? Well, I don't know about you, but when trials come, I mean, the devil often seeks to destroy my peace by tempting me to believe that God has abandoned me. If these bad things are happening, God doesn't care. He's not strong enough, or he doesn't know. It's just a bunch of uh, character attacks on God. So how do you live the gospel? How do you do this third lesson in a moment like that? Well, you begin by reminding yourself that God didn't abandon you to death that you truly deserved, In order to display the glory of his grace in Jesus, his son, by saving you and making you his. If he didn't abandon me then, he's not abandoning me now. And in fact, it's even better than that. Not only has he not abandoned me, God stamped his name on you. You are the Israel of God, you're his. You're his treasured possession, the sheep of his pasture. You're a child in his household. And that changes everything. The cross changes everything, especially suffering. So God does not bring his children into suffering to punish them, but to bless. Look at, uh, if you want to, you can turn to Psalm 66. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. But turn to Psalm 66 for a moment. Verses 8 through 12 are really helpful in thinking how we live the gospel in trying times, maybe even persecution. God, uh, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water doesn't sound like the greatest time yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance i love psalm 66 especially when the days during those days when you feel like the waters right up to here people are riding over your heads you're in a net you can't get out feeling crushed you're going through fire and it teaches us that we can be honest about the depth of our suffering. But it also teaches that no matter how deep the agony goes, God controls both the extent and the depth of your suffering. And because His name is on you, the suffering will never end in agony, but only in abundance because his name is stamped on you and he will not let you go. God never leads his children into suffering without the promise to bring us through it to a place of abundance being ours. And Paul takes that Old Testament thought that's not just in Psalm 66, but Genesis 50 and throughout the Old Testament into Romans 8 when he writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. But it's only for those whose God's name is stamped on. For whom the cross has rescued them from this present evil age. Whom he has made a new creation. God will work out all things. Yes, even the bad things together for your good. Now that place of abundance may not be in this present evil age because ultimately the place of abundance is eternal life in Revelation 21 and 22 with God forever where he wipes away all our tears once and for all, banishes death, sin, and evil once and for all, and we live with him as our God and we his people forever and ever and ever. That's the abundance that we're waiting for, which may not be in this present evil age. Sometimes it is. But ultimately, when the new creation God began in Jesus Christ comes to full fruition on the last day, and when you are preaching that gospel truth to yourself every day, that's where you have peace, even in this present evil age, because our hope is not found in this present evil age, but in Christ in his glory alone. And the way for this peace and mercy to be yours all the days of your life is to live the gospel, because it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And so live like it, Paul says. And then we can do that as we hear Paul's final lesson in verse 18 final lesson is grace. Grace. And I know we're running short, so let me do what Paul does. Stick with me. This will not be as long. We're almost done. Look at verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brother. Amen. And Paul ends his letter to the Galatian church by writing GRACE in all caps. He began his letter in verse our chapter 1 verse 3 saying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be yours and he now ends his letter with a word of grace so if you remember one thing about Galatians remember it's all about grace it's not about you it's all about Jesus so live the gospel and you can by grace the false teachers emphasize works of the law but the true gospel emphasizes God's amazing grace And this is actually not the last message in Galatians. I'm going to do chapters one through six. So you're going to be here a while next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'll try and do it in our regular time. But I want us to see from beginning to end the message of Galatians, that it is this message of grace. That it's grace that Jesus came to free us from the present evil age, from our sin and from death. It's grace that we've become sons of Abraham. And since we're heirs of God's promise, it's all grace, and so there's nothing you can do to lose that inheritance and to change your status as a child of God. It's grace that we're now free to serve one another in love through the Spirit's fruit-bearing presence in our life. It's grace that we kill sin, and by grace, the Spirit bears its fruit in our lives as we serve and bear each other's burdens and help each other to get to this last day. So you see five points. Living by grace is another way of saying live out your life as a new creation. It's already yours. You are new in Jesus. so you don't have to live for God accept, for God's acceptance. you live from it. You don't serve others in love to earn God's love, but rather, you serve others in love because God has loved you first and gave His Son for you. And by grace we bear the fruit of the Spirit and put to death the works of the flesh. And all this flows from starting every day knowing that in spite of your absolute need and helplessness, God joyfully chose to make you his son all by his amazing grace. It's a grace that is greater and deeper and wider than all our sin. So hope each day in that grace. And friend, I don't know about you this morning or know if you know this grace. But as we conclude our time together, remember that Paul's last message to all is that grace isn't a thing. Grace is a person. And it's Jesus Christ. That everything you were made for and longed for is found in Jesus alone. And the glorious news is that you were made for it. And though you now long for it and can't find it in this present evil age, it is freely yours if you trust in Jesus today. And so by God's grace, may you do so. And may all those who already trust in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ May you continue in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of his name forever. Let's pray. We pray, Father, that the redeeming love that is ours in Jesus Christ would be the theme of our song every day that we would never cease to wonder at how amazing your grace is. And we pray that you would help us be proclaimers of the grace that sinners can have in Jesus so that more and more might know him and worship him with us both now and forever, we pray. Amen.